Father in heaven, we just all are here with, with open hearts, Father, to receive You and Your Word. We want to worship You. We want to worship You in spirit and in truth for the Word of God. Your Son said that God seeketh such to worship Him. And so, Father, we're here. We bear our heart. We bear our lives. We bear our minds. We pray that everything that we do, that we say, goes to honor You. To, to worship You. To exalt You. And to bring You all honor and glory. Father, I pray that Your Word will be deep this morning to edify. I pray that our minds are open to receive it and our hearts will, will bear it in. Help us, Father, to become more and more like You. Ah. Oh. Lord, I just pray that You're with Your Word today and that it anoints everyone that's here. And I pray for all of those who couldn't be here that You will bless them and bring them here to be back with the family at the, the times that they can. In Jesus' name, Amen. Man, I'm going to open up the question this morning. If I was to ask you, now I'm not talking about like what what scripture was written first like which is the oldest one that was written first I want to know if I asked you what scripture references the oldest part of time what scripture would you think that was Genesis I think everybody's in agreement right you're close you're close what do they always say? You're close, but no cigar? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that goes to the carnivore or something way back. But anyway, that's close, but it's not. You want? Nope, that's close, but it's not. Um, turn your Bible, if you would, to the reference to the oldest part of time in the Scriptures to John chapter 1, verse 1. I want to take you to the oldest part of time and as you're turning there, I want to tell you that, boy, this scripture's precious. It weighs heavy on my heart. I could talk to you today for 10 hours on these first 14 verses, tying all the things of the Bible that goes into this. Miss Sarah told me to. She said, Paul preached till midnight. <laughs> and, and Eutychus fell out. And I said, yeah, but... And said he revived him. And I said, yeah, but he was an apostle. I'm not. And I don't know that I could revive someone. So I'm not going to preach till midnight and take that chance. So I'm going to spare you that this morning. But in John 1.1, I want to take you back to the earliest reference of what it could be. There's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And no, they're not the four horsemen of the apocalypse that's in Revelation 6. These were those that walked with Jesus those three years, talked with Him, that they knew Him, they, they stayed with Him. And each one of them wrote their account and their book from what their experience was through their eyes, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what the Lord God wanted us to know. And they had their own unique styles and perspectives. But in John 1.1, if you're there with me, we begin the study of the gospel record of Jesus Christ. 
And these first 14 verses give us the pre-existent one. Then it suddenly shifts to the humanity of Jesus Christ after that. And the virgin birth and the Lord becomes flesh. And in John 3.16, Jesus states that God so loved the world that this is why His Son had to come into this world as flesh, as His one and only, monogenes, one and only of its type, begotten Son, so that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the goal of all of these Gospels, and that's the goal of all of our life, is so that we might have that belief that we might have everlasting life, and that one day we're going to be face-to-face with Him when this life on earth is over. And that was the reason, and that was the purpose that our Lord had to come. So as John began writing his Gospel account, he was able to do something that's eluded the minds of all of the great men. All the way back through history, there's been men like Confucius and, and just Uh, Descartes and there's been all of these guys who tried to philosophically and psychologically explain what eternity is and a couple of them says I just can't do it I'm just going to stop and and I know that I, I am and that's about as much as I can get to but God the Holy Spirit took a fisherman from a little village and he said in in one to two verses as he starts his gospel, he said something that all of the smartest minds in the history of man could never do. And he explains eternity. And his gospel begins with two words. It's not in the beginning, it's anarche. And that's how it begins. It's translated this way in ours, but arche means the preeminent one. Who is the top angel? The archangel. Yeah, but but he's called the archangel. So that's RK. That means the preeminent. So the preeminent one, the first in rank of all of the angels is the archangels of God. Uh, underneath the Lord Jesus Christ who rules over that heavenly host. But So this word, ain't arche, holagos, as it starts off is that it's not a beginning. It means that it's something that was to be, that, that it was there. What it's trying to tell us is, is that was the Word. The Word for was... And I'm just going to go from memory. I'm not going to just keep looking at this. Imi is that word. And Imi means something that is unchanging. It never changes. So when, when the human mortal mind has to think of something, we think of something as it began. When time began was Genesis 1.1. As, as everyone says, as time started to begin, actually it was about Genesis 1, 4 through 6 when it says, and the evening and the morning, day 1. So at day 1, time began. But guess what? Before that, there was no time. There was eternity. And what John is trying to say that Jesus Christ, who is the Word, that's His title, was pre-existent. Before everything. When things began and when time began, He already existed, is what this scripture is saying. He was already there. You know why? Because He is God. And God is eternal. 
God has no beginning and no end. He always has been, He is, and He always will be. And so, the oldest reference is right here, is before there was a beginning, the Word was. The Word was. And He was not only the Word, He was with God, and He was God. It's a definitive thing. So then it starts with Genesis 1.1 and goes then at a beginning. When the earth was called into existence out of nothing, God was already there and He was doing that work and speaking it in and doing it through Christ Jesus our Lord. So long before the universe existed, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit were already together in eternity past. They were there. And next we get that word was. And I started to tell you about an imi. And it's a very important word. So many things hinge. You see the entire gospel and the promises and Jesus being God hinges upon these verses right here. Everything hinges from here. And that word was means something to be. It means that it's it has always been, always is, and always will be. There's, there's no beginning, no end with God. The same was in the beginning with God. It's, he was unchanging. It's a verb of status quo being. There's another word that's going to be in our passage today. And everything hinges upon these two words in a lot of doctrine. And that other word is genomai. And genomai in the Greek is the opposite of what aimi is. Aimi is status quo. It always is. Always will be. God is God. But then there's something else. Genomai means to become something. When the earth came into existence, it wasn't there. And then it came to be something. And so the things that come to be something use that term genomai to show that it's something that comes through the progression of what God has created and what God has done. It means to be something you were not before and a change happens. God is unchanging. There's no shifting of Him. There's no shadow of change. But things change that is in this world. And I want to illustrate it uh, very easily through one passage of Scripture in John 8. If you want to uh, just be there a second. If you want to look on the board and hold your place at John 1. But Jesus, as he was talking to these Pharisees, and man, they was railing on him like they always do. And he told them, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And they looked at him and just like Nicodemus in chapter 3 is going to say, how do you get born again? Do you go back to your mother's womb and Jesus like you, the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Here's another spiritual thing. And the Jews said to them, you aren't even 50 years old. You're still young. And yet you say that you know Abraham and you've been around him and you've seen him. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. There's seven I am statements in John you remember where that comes from Moses at the burning bush go tell him to let my people go go to Pharaoh you're going to be the instrument and he says who am I going to tell them that sent me they're going to ask who sent me and tell them I am that I am that that word is I me the always existing 
one. The one who always existed, the only one who is God eternal is sending you. He said, before Abraham was, that's Genomai. You see, there was a time when Abraham was not yet born. There was a time when his mom and dad got together and they had Abraham. And when he was birthed, he now was. That's Genomai. That was a change. You weren't and now you are. Jesus contrasts that Abraham, who you're placing all of this emphasis on, was a man. And before Abraham came into being, I am. I always existed. So that's how he's, he's tying it in for us to be able to understand in one passage on what it was. I am. I am the eternal God. 2,000 years ago, that happened. And they understood what he was saying when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Because what's the next verse say they did? They picked up some big rocks and they wanted to throw it at him and stone him because he was saying he was God. <laughs> you're, you're trying to make yourself as God and so they were going to stone him and, and they understood what he was saying when he said, I am, I am, I am the ever existent, always being one. So now as we slide back into John 1, 1, before anything else ever appeared, there always existed the Word. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He always existed. And then it says it was with God. And the Word was God. And here again, was with God and was God is all I me. He has always been with God and He's always been God. He's always been the Word of God. He always existed with Him. And that's already bringing into existence the fact that the Godhead is in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, man, I ought to go back there and just get an egg and crack it right now. Because you ask, how, how can it be one and be three? But when I take that egg, and, I, and it's an egg, isn't it? I can show it to you, it's an egg. But if I crack it, and I open it, and then you ladies, when you bake, sometimes you separate the yolk from the white, right? And so some of them calls for just yolks or more egg whites. So you've got the yolk, you've got the white, and you've got the shell. Which part of it's not an egg? No, they're all in it. Because when it's a shell and it's in there, it's an egg. But whenever I open it up, and there's three distinct parts to it, but it's still all an egg, isn't it? That's how God is. God is three distinct, separatable beings that agree together in one as God. And that's how it is. You can, you can separate it. it. There can be the voice from heaven when he's being baptized by John that says, this is my son. And the Spirit descending like a dove. You can have all three of them gathering together in agreement. And it says in John that, that they agree together as one. They being three agree as one. And that's how God is. So in the very beginning statement of this gospel, going back to the oldest thing before time existed he was with God so he was there was already the entire Godhead before anything ever existed and then it says in verse 2 this same which is the word the Lord Jesus was I me always with God that means it never changed he always has been always will be with God in the beginning, before time existed, He was there. And it was through Him. 
Without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. I'm going to ask you for some feedback, okay? Because I told you I could preach five hours on this, right? I'm not going to, but I could do it in sections if you really want. How many people have not heard me teach on how the earth was formed and what happened in Genesis 1-1? Would you like to hear it? You can give me feedback. Also, have you heard me speak on Genesis 6 and what really happened on the flood? If you haven't and you want to hear it, give me some feedback today or next week. If you want to hear the because all of this ties all the way back. You see, now we're going back to Genesis 1-1. All things were made by Him. Without Him, not anything that was made was made. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whenever it says God, it's in the plural. Elohim. It's not El, the singular for God. It's plural. So even in the first verse of the Bible, it says God in the plural form. And in the Hebrew, plural is three or more because it has a word for duo. So to be in a plural, it's three or more. So in the beginning, God, plural, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. So I, I could, man, this goes, like I said, we could go all day on the different things that this is references to, but Jesus made all things. He made this earth. He made the other realms that was there. And this same Jesus was with God. And then it says in verse 4, In Him was what? Life. All life was in Him. And He was also the light. And, it, and that word was is that word I me always has been. In Him has always been life and the light of this world. What did we just sing? The lighthouse. Brand new song. Jesus is the lighthouse. Well, the scripture says he is. And he's our light. And he's always been our light. And then, he was always with God. And he was God. And as God in him always was life. And he always was the light. Now drop down to verse 10 for a second. He was in the world. And the world was made by Him. See, it, it doesn't leave any doubt. The world was made by Him, but yet the world knew Him not. How sad is that? The one who has all life, the one who created this world, and now we know the one who gave His life for us, came into this world for that purpose, but the world didn't want to know Him. And the world knew him not. And his, he came to his own, and his own received him not. So the word, the word is a title. The ancients knew that the, the term logos, the word, was what had all of the power of the creation. And so they knew it would be the supreme mover and maker of the universe. The world has their own ideas of this. But the Bible, through the Spirit, talking to John, is letting us know that there's only one word, one true word. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the maker of the universe. And it was made by Him. And you know why He came into the world? 
Several reasons. One of them is so we know about God and know who He is, right? You remember what He said in John 14, 9? He said, when He had told him that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also, and, and I'm going to go to the Father. And they said, well, how do we know and the way we don't know, and, and how do we know how to get there and all of these things? And Jesus said to Philip, after all this time you've been around me, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So Jesus, as he came into this world, one of the things that he wanted to do was to be the representation of who and what God that has never been seen before is to the world. He wanted to bring that representation. So in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners, and that just means in many different ways, in many different times and places, He spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, by whom also, through Jesus, He made the worlds through His Son. Who being, and here's what Jesus came to express to us, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power that when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down on the majesty on the right hand of God. Wow. He came to show us the glory of God. He came to be the express image and that means He is the exact express. If you take a picture of yourself, one of those selfies, and you look at it, that was an express image of who you are. Jesus is the express image of the person, the characteristics, and the attributes of God. And that's why He came in as one of His things. But He also came in to do something else too. It says that He upholds all things by the word of His power. Do you know that everything, not only did He speak these worlds into existence, but He also upholds everything right now by His word. That's how powerful the word of God is. It not only created things, when it says God created, that's bara, and that's a word that means out of nothing. So there was nothing. It was just God. And they spoke Light be, light was, earth be, universe be. And just by speaking the word out of nothing, the things came into existence. And now, the sun makes its revolution every day. The moon makes its every month chart to round from full moon through the cycles to new moon and then through the cycles back to full moon. It's all held together. It's all directed by the Word of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ who upholds all things, gravity, air, mixture that we breathe, everything, by the Word of His power. And then when He came as a man, it says He by Himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of God. I should hear an amen or a praise God or something on that. I mean, I mean really... He came for that express purpose to show us God and to purge our sins so that we might be clean. It says that He did it, I want you to listen there, by Himself. 
By himself, he purged our sins. He left the heavenly realm. Being God, the all-existent one from, from no, always existed, to saying, I'm going to take on flesh. And I am going to come so that I can express God's love to you, show you how much you mean and what I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to go to Golgotha and by myself. That's a deep thought. Because we started out in John 1.1 with what? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was what? With God and was God. So it says that there had never been a time that He was not with God until the cross. And during that three hours that He suffered the pain and the agony of my sins upon Himself, He had to do it alone. Because the Father and the Spirit as still not in flesh like Jesus, they couldn't be around sin. And the Bible says that He had to become our sin and to take on our sin upon Himself and to be judged for it so that I might become the righteousness of God through Him. And so, when that darkness veiled, you know, Isaiah said up until that time that like a lamb is silent before its shearers, he spoke not a word. During every bit of that beating, during every bit of the torture that he had up to that point when the darkness came, he had not cried out. And he had did things like, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Today, you will be with me in paradise to the one who says, I believe. But when darkness came, not only was it my sins that hit him that caused him to cry out, but it was also because now for the first time ever, he was alone. Because the Father and the Spirit departed so that he could suffer alone to purge my sins. And thus he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Thank you, Jesus. Do you know how tough that would be for God to do? To humble Himself to the cross and then to allow Himself to be alone for the first time in all of eternity to take on our sins so that He, by Himself, when He suffers that, He can purge then our sins from us and be righteous and just. And now the love of God has righteousness and justice to be able to love us because my sins have been paid for and atoned and redeemed by my Savior and by His blood. And that's what it means. The word there for purged is katharismos. And it means to purge and to cleanse. But let me give you an idea. When I worked before, I worked... Uh, at Lilly, I worked in quality control at Johnson Controls in Franklin. And that was in 1980. And they made two liter bottles for Coke and Pepsi. And those PET bottles, terapethalate, uh, polyethylene terapethalate, those, when you blow those bottles, the plastic seeps a little bit of a chemical composition back out into the air. And so what we had to do in quality control, we had a gas chromatograph. And what you were supposed to do was to 
take an air hose and squirt that air in there to force all of the other air out. It's called purging the bottle. And you would purge the bottle and then place the cap on it and then the needle in there and let the gas chromatograph try to read what was not from the atmosphere and the air that it had gathered before that, but only what now was coming from the plastic that was on the inside of the bottle. That was to purge. Another way to purge is to cleanse. And how many of you, whenever you're going to wash your car, have to get a hose? You don't just dribble a little water. You get a sprayer that sprays pretty good because you want to what? Spray that stuff off of there to be able to get it clean, to knock it off. That's what this word means. That when he suffered and died for my sins and his blood paid for my atonement, that blood now purges, blows everything out, it scrubs and cleanses. So from the outside in and the inside out, purged and cleansed, I am now clean. And he looks at me as clean. And no longer as who I was, but now I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. We are purged by his precious blood. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, oh, praise God, some of this describes me. I don't know about you, but it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And don't be deceived. There are fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But here comes the praise report. But praise God, such were some of you. We're supposed to come out of that. What, what scripture was it in Isaiah? I have called you to holiness and righteousness. That's what I have called you to be. You were that. But he says, such were some of you. I've been in some of those categories. And he says, but you are now what? Washed. You are now what? Sanctified. You are what? Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's purging and that's cleansing. That's those two things that He did upon that cross for me. That no matter what walk of life I came from, no matter what was going on, this happens. And do you know that it's not a one-time thing? How many, you know, do you have to be baptized every day? No. Because there's something called an aorist tense. And an aorist tense is like a once and for all. When you're born... That's a one-time thing. And from, from that point in history on, you count the days or the years of, of your life. But there was a point in time where that happened, and that's the aorist tense. So when you become a new creature in Christ, that's an aorist tense. And now that goes on. So you know what happens after that? It says in John, you know I love first, or first John, you know I love 1 John 1, 9. When it says that if, if you will confess your faults to me that... I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's the purging and the cleansing. But, you know what it says before that? It says, man, if you say you're not a sinner, the truth's not in you, right? And you're deceiving yourself and you're trying to make God a liar. Don't do that. But what you do is, is I try to what? Walk in the light. So who's the light? Did we just hear Jesus? So if I try to walk in Christ, if I try to walk in the light as He is in the light, I have fellowship 
one with another. And does anyone remember what the next verse says? And the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all of our sins. Cleanseth us. That term purge, that term cleansed, is a term that is in a continuous form. As long as I am walking in the light, don't deceive yourself that you're not a sinner and that you're not going to sin and don't beat yourself up when you do because you will. But your goal should be to be called to be as righteous as I can be and to walk in that light as much as I can. And when I walk in the light, even though I fall, it the blood of Christ continues to cleanse me. And when I know the fault that I am in, I confess that. And he says, I am faithful and I am just to forgive you of that sin. And not only that, I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And praise God, what that means is how many times do I not know during the day what I've done and I've overlooked it and I've forgot it. And he says, I'm going to lump that in too. That's all unrighteousness. And so I'm going to, I'm going to not only do what you confessed, I'm going to lump everything else with it because I know you're trying to, to be right. I know you're walking in the light and I know you're confessing that thing to me. So I'm going to lump it all in there. That's what He did on that cross by Himself that continues to purge us and cleanse us from our sins. Um, listen to Paul describe it on how he did. Here's how he did it with his life. He's standing there giving a defense in Acts chapter 22. And you know, he was on that road to Damascus and suddenly it, there was a great light that shone from heaven and, and it blinded him. And, and he was like, you know, what's going on? Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus that you are persecuting. It's hard for you to continue to kick against the pricks. I want you to go into the town. I want you to go onto a street called Straight. There's going to be a man named Ananias and he's going to come to you and he's going to tell you what you're going to do. So they led that blind man, saw into that house and he sat there and waited for three days. And he says, after three days, he's telling this story now to the Jews there. And he says, after three days, Ananias came into my house and he was a devout man and he came and he stood before me and he said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And that same hour I looked upon his face and I could see. And he said, The God of our fathers knows who you are. He's chosen you that you should know his will and to see the just one and to hear his voice. And for thou shalt be his witness to all men all over of what you have seen and heard. And now... Why tarriest thou? So he said, Jesus told him, go into town and Ananias will tell you what you're going to do. You're going to be my witness. But before you do, what has to happen? He said, arise and what? Why? Why? And why? Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So that is the washing that it was talking about, the cleansing, the purging. There you go. You wash away your sin calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus by Himself went to the cross and suffered that and paid the price so that I could be washed clean. Praise God. Now back to our text in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him there was not anything made that was made. Life and light of men was in Him. 
And those are all of our words of Imi, continuous being, status quo. He's always been all of those things. And the people should have recognized him. We're going to see, and we already looked at a little bit, they did not know him. They did not want to know him. But they were looking for him. If you remember, it was prophesied in Malachi, but in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, when he was talking to her, she said, you know, they were discussing some different things and, and he told her some things that needed to happen. And she looked at him and said, when the Messiah comes, I know he's coming. We've been all taught that he's coming. And when the Messiah comes, he will explain all of those things and I'll be able to understand them because she wasn't really wanting to take his word for some of that. And he said, woman... He that is talking to you, I am He. There's one of those I am statements. I am pre-existent God in human form, and I am He. I am the Messiah that you've been looking for. And she went running up to go tell everyone, and they all came down to see Jesus. So they were looking for Him. She said, I know Messiah is coming. They were all looking for Him, but when they saw Him, they didn't want Him. They didn't want to accept Him. They didn't want to receive Him. And they also knew from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, God said, Before I send my Messiah, I will send my messenger that will prepare His way before me. So then, John chapter 1 and verse 6. Go ahead and give me the next one. In, in verse 6, He said, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. There also came for, he came for a witness to bear witness to the light, the word, so that all men through him might believe. John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. For Jesus, the word says, there is the true light. And every man that cometh into the world, he lighteth it. He lighteth them. That means... Everyone, it says, every man that cometh in the world, he lighteth them. So he gave us life. So the breath of life, nishma, as it's known, goes into each one of us. He is life, and he gives life that lights. Nishma is the spark of life in Hebrew. He gives us the nishma through his breath, the spark of life, and he is lit. Every single one of us that is here by that breath. And he came in to the world. And he was the light of the world. But then in verse 10. He was in the world. And sadly the world did not want to know him. The one who was the igniter of life. The one who was the pre-existent one. And they said, we don't know you. He came to his own, verse 11. But his own received him not. Verse 12, but... How many times I tell you, I like the butts of the Bible. Man, I just love the butts in the Bible. It's a conjunction of contrast, so it's going to contrast that. They didn't receive Him. But I'm going to share with you the best news you're ever going to hear in your life. It says, but to those as many as will receive Him or believe, to them, to those who believe, to those who receive Him, He gave them power to do what? Become the sons of God. Remember that word, genomai, I told you about a while ago? 
how that I, me, is the status quo ever existent, refers to God and never changing. And I told you that genomai was the opposite one, like before Abraham was, I am. This is the word genomai. So when it says, as many as received him, so whoever receives him, you get the power through the Holy Spirit of God to become, that's genomai. You see, before this time, you never was a son of God yet until you received Christ. But to as many as will receive Him, He gives to you the power to become sons of God. That's why in John 3, He says you must be born again. Because that which is of flesh is flesh, and that which is of spirit is spirit. And you must be born again of the water and of the spirit so that you can become something that you were not before this time. And that is now a son of God. And that's a technical term. And again, man, that goes back to Adam. That goes back to what happened in Genesis 6 with the sons of God. And if you read the genealogies, as explained in this morning, there's two genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Matthew is a legal line. Luke is the bloodline. And there's a separation in the genealogies at David. Did you know that? There's a separation at David in the genealogies because the one in Matthew goes through Solomon and comes on down. But the one going in reverse in Luke coming from Mary because you see Matthew's is the legal one. That's Joseph's. But is Jesus Joseph's actual son? No. So that was his legal from his adoptive father and from the eyesight of the Jews. But his bloodline came through his mother and through God the Father, right? And so it goes backwards through Nathan, David's other son, and to show the difference in the bloodlines. And so, man, we can go all kinds of stuff, but whenever the bloodline one go, that goes through Nathan and from Mary all the way back, it goes back to, it'll say, to Seth, who was the son of Adam, because all of them said, who was the son of, who was the son of. And so then it goes to Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Son of God is a technical term, which means you weren't born by flesh and blood, nor by the will of man, as we're going to see in just a second. But you were born of God Himself. And so what God has done through Christ on that cross is those who will receive Him, He has given us the power to become sons of God. And we never was that before. Which were born, when you become a son of God, you are now born not of blood, nor the will of anyone's flesh, nor by the will of man, not mom and dad and not flesh, but of God. And the Word... This pre-existent one who had always existed as God and with God, the Word was made. And that Word there is genomai. That's the Word for change. The ever-existent one who had never changed became flesh. Some of the versions even use the word became instead of was made, which is an accurate translation. He became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He had never been flesh before. 
He'd always been God before anything was. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. So that at the moment that we accept him, we might not perish, but have everlasting life because we've been changed into something that we were not before. We are now a son of God. As our praise team returns, this lesson is yours. I pray it's a blessing to you this day to know what all of this means and how deep that it goes. Those who receive Christ, believe and obey His Word, baptize, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it says, you've become given the power to become the sons of God, so glory to God in the highest. The depths of truth that are in these 14 verses, like I said, I could go on forever. But He became flesh, and He died a horrible death, spiritual death, Remember that too. It was a spiritual death that he died during that time because when that was over and he said, it is finished, right? You remember that? So the work on the cross was done at that time. He died the spiritual death first, taking my sins on. And then when that was finished, he said, it is finished. And now, Father, my work is done. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he physically died after that as well. But when he did that, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the paradox of what went on? The two changes from what was not to what is. The ever-existent God became flesh to take on my sins so that I as flesh have the right to become a son of God, a spiritual being like that. Amen. Father, I get goosebumps thinking of the depths, but yet the simplicity that's in this passage. Father, I pray that Your Word has been a blessing to Your people. I pray that Your Spirit is working through us so that I can feed Your sheep of Your pasture. So that they can realize all the things that You show me and study. I pray, Father, that we understand the depths of your love, the depths that you went to to change God into man so that man could become like you. Oh, Father, we thank you and we praise you for what we have learned this day and I pray that it's a blessing. But most of all, I pray that we have honored you that we have exalted You, that we have glorified You, and that we have showed a portion of the magnificence that's in Your Word. May it nourish us and be a part of us forever. In Jesus' name, we thank You and we praise You. Amen.